I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Joshua chapter 3. The best known event in the book of Joshua is the one we're going to talk about tonight. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. But the seminal event, the event that made everything else possible, is what we're going to talk about this morning from Joshua chapter 3. This is a message entitled, Crossing Jordan. Crossing Jordan. The story of how Joshua and the people of God got across the Jordan River. And at long last, God's people entered the promised land. It's a story of a great amazing miracle. You know, when the when, when certain people come to this chapter, I'm not talking about evangelicals, but certain liberal commentators, they simply don't know what to do about this. Uh, they don't know what to do about the story of the falling of the walls or the sun standing still. And some people come to a story like this and they want to explain it away. And I say, there's nothing in the Bible that needs to be explained away. It needs to be read, it needs to be understood, it needs to be believed. So Joshua 3, crossing Jordan. The River Jordan occupies a unique place in Christian history, in Christian thinking, in Christian theology, and especially in Christian music. The river and its imagery have come to represent great spiritual truth. You have, for instance, the famous Welsh hymn by William Williams, written in 1771. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Samuel Stinnett of England penned these familiar words. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. To Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. And then the great American spirituals. Deep river, my home is over Jordan. Deep river, Lord, I want to cross over into campground. And this one, one of my favorites. I looked over Jordan. What did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. And then in the world of folk music in the 1960s, Peter, Paul, and Mary made this song famous. Michael, row your boat ashore. Jordan's river is chilly and cold. Chills the body, but not the soul. Jordan River is deep and wide. Milk and honey on the other side. And then the great Johnny Cash made this song famous. When I come to the river at the ending of day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. In the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Alone. 
And one of my personal favorites that we used to sing all the time growing up, and I honestly can't remember the last time I was in a service where we sang this verse. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, in death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. This is the story of the crossing of the Jordan River. You may ask yourself, why does it matter? We're only this morning basically going to talk about chapter 3. But really, this story and all that it entails is chapter 3, chapter 4, and really chapter 5. It's really three chapters. We're only going to look at the first part of this because that's the, the key part. But three of the chapters are really involved in this important event. Why? Because the Jordan River was the boundary marker. On this side is the land of the Gentiles. On this side is the land of unbelief. When you cross Jordan, you're into Canaan. You're into the promised land. What's the very first thing God said in Joshua? Joshua 1 verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them. Joshua 3 is the story of God's people waiting for a miracle. Or it's about the things that must happen before the miracle happens. There is a great miracle here, and it does happen. But this text emphasizes a great truth, which is up on the screen. God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessing. So here is what we're going to do. Very, very simply, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to talk about how Israel crossed the Jordan River. We're just going to go right through text and help you see how they got from the east side to the west side of the river. First thing that happened is they waited three days. Verses 1 and 2. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, which was sort of a gathering place a few miles east of the Jordan River. They set out from there, and they came to the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp. What's the first thing they had to do? The first thing they had to do was hurry up and wait. They got to the banks of the Jordan River. They could see to the other side. They could see not far away the great walled city of Jericho. They could see on the other side the promised land that God was going to give them. And God says, you're going to wait here for three days. Waiting may be the hardest discipline of the Christian life. Most people hate to wait. I know I do. Truth be told, most of life is waiting. Waiting to meet the right guy or gal. Waiting for an appointment to see the doctor. Waiting for the test results to come back. Waiting to find out 
Do you need surgery or not? Waiting to graduate, waiting to get into college, waiting to get out of college, waiting for your first job offer, waiting for the baby to be born, waiting to see your grandkids again. Most of us would rather do anything than wait. Some of us would rather do the wrong thing than wait. So I ask the question here, why wait? Why not go straight ahead right across the Jordan River? God makes them wait to remind the Jews that, watch this, if God doesn't come through for them, they will never make it on their own. Got it? They had to wait three days so that they would know they were going to get across. But if God doesn't come through for them, they will never make it. Remember, God's work must be done what? God's way in order to receive God's blessing. So they waited three days. Here's the second thing, and this is very interesting. Joshua put the ark in front of the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, that's interesting. Generally in the Old Testament, it was the the Kohathites, the sons of Kohath who carried the ark of the covenant. Here's a place where it was especially given to the Levitical priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you see the Ark of the Covenant moving out, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. And look at this phrase. It's a telling phrase in verse 4. Since you have never been this way before. But, 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 but. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, line up, get ready. We're about to go across the river, but keep a distance. Now, in the the text I'm reading, it says about 2,000 cubits. That's about, that's a little bit over half a mile. In other words, don't crowd around the Ark of the Covenant. Keep some distance. There's two reasons for that. Number one, because of the holiness of God. You're to respect God's presence among you. Keep some distance. And number two, there's two and a half million people who've got to cross the river. So if the, if a bunch of people up front crowded around the ark, the people in the back couldn't see it. So keep about a half a mile of distance between you and the ark. And he says specifically in verse four, do not go near it. Now, here is a, here's a sort of a, a representation of the ark of the covenant. Very interesting. On your own, go back and read Joshua chapter 3. You know what you'll discover? The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned not once, not twice, but nine different times in this chapter. Clearly, that's the major point we're to understand. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? It was a chest with a gold top called the mercy seat. And you had the golden wings of the cherubim, which which reached out and came together, touching there in the middle. And and it was that that was inside the Holy of Holies. And, And once a year, the high priest would come in with a sprinkled blood and the sprinkled blood of the goat would be sprinkled on top on the mercy seat. The Shekinah glory would come down and the sins of the people would be atoned, be rolled away for yet another year. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, three things, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, Aaron's rod that budded, and the pot of manna to remind them of God's preservation of his people in the wilderness. Now taken all together, 
What did the Ark of the Covenant represent? It represented the gracious presence of Almighty God. If you're taking notes, write that down. The gracious presence of Almighty God. In the wilderness, what did they have to guide them? They had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That is now gone. What do they have now? They have the Ark of the Covenant, the gracious presence of Almighty God to lead them into the promised land. And why does the, why does the Ark of the Covenant go first? Because only God knows where we should go. He's already told them, follow, follow the Ark because you've never been this way. Follow the Lord and the Lord will lead you where you need to go. So here we go. How did Israel cross Jordan? First, they waited three days. Second, God put the ark in front of the people. Third, they consecrated themselves the day before the miracle. Look at verse five. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself. That means cleanse yourself. In the Old Testament, that would have meant taking off your, taking off your raiment and, 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 the, and the part that's dirty and dusty. Wash it and make yourself clean was the idea of cleanse yourself on the outside as a symbol of the inner cleansing needed on the inside. Joshua told the people, get right with God. Cleanse yourself outwardly and inwardly for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, why did he say this? He's saying to his people, you aren't ready for the miracle yet. God has work to do. You need to get ready on the inside for the mighty miracle God is going to work in your midst. Now, I wonder to myself, let me just drop this in. I wonder, is this the reason we do not see more amazing things from the Lord? I wonder, is it because we have not cleansed ourselves and not consecrated ourselves before the Lord? Are you ready for God to do amazing things in your life? Give Joshua all the credit here. He expects a miracle. He says tomorrow you're going to see amazing things happen. He expects a miracle, but he has no idea what God is going to do. Here's number four. The priests went first. And I love this part of the story. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Here is a huge test for the priests of God. They were to walk toward the Jordan River, not knowing what was to happen. Now we're going to discover in just a moment that the Jordan River was at flood stage, which means that at that moment, it could have been as much as a mile wide. They were told, these priests were, walk toward the flooded river. And they were, toward, they were to, to, uh, told eventually, you got to step into that flooded river. And that brings me to number five. They crossed when the river was at flood stage. Drop down to verses 14 and 15. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15 is the key verse here. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Now, I know that many of you have been to the Holy Land. If you've been to the Holy Land today and you go to the Jordan River, about what you can say about the Jordan River is, it's not 
very impressive. In certain places, it looks like what we call down in Texas, a creek. You know, a creek. It's not very wide. If you go to the Jordan River during most of the year, because they have, you know, the Israelis have put in amazing flood control systems up north of the Sea of Galilee and then coming out of the Sea of Galilee. So the water, it's, you know, it's a major source of water for Israel and for the surrounding nations. So, so today, if you go see the Jordan River, it's hard to understand this story because you say to yourself, you know, some places in some parts of the year, you think, I could wade across the Jordan River. So it's, it's not that impressive most of the year. And even back then, certain parts of the year, it wouldn't have been very impressive. We're being told here, this happened during the spring harvest season. When the snow has melted off of Mount Hermon and the other mountains, and the snow has come down into the river, here is what the archaeologists tell us. Jeremiah, in his, in his prophecy, Jeremiah uses the phrase, go to the thickets by the Jordan River. That there was, there's the river, and then there's the, what you might call the alluvial plain, where the, the, there's a whole thicket mass of, uh, of, of small brush and small trees, very hard to get through. The, uh, the archaeologists tell us, who have studied this, that at flood stage, which is when this happened, the river is not that narrow creek you think you could just walk across. It's at least a half mile wide. It's at least 16 to 18 feet deep. It could be as much, counting, counting the water as it came up into the thicket area, it could be as much as a mile wide and in the middle a raging torrent 15 to 18 to even in some places 20 feet deep. And God said to the priest, you see that raging torrent? I want you to walk down to it. And I want you to put your feet in that water. And I can imagine that the, that the Jews, when they saw that raging torrent, wondered how they would ever get across. They had no idea how. They had no boats. They had no bridges. They had no pontoons. They had no canoes. They had no kayaks. You know, the only thing they had, they had the naked promise of Almighty God. What if they had said, we got no boats. We got no bridges. Let's, let's go back. You know, the, the Jews were prone in some hard times to saying, let's go back to Egypt. We had onions back there. We had leeks. We had garlics. We were safe back there. That's what they said in the wilderness. Now, what is faith? What is faith? Faith is believing God when your circumstances make no sense to you. You may say to yourself, I have no idea how God is going to answer my prayer. That's okay. The how is none of your business. God is not obligated to explain himself to you. God has arranged it this way on purpose. What do you do when God hems you in? Keep your eyes on him. All right, then let's go to number six. The priest entered the water before the miracle took place. Look at verse eight. Tell the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Now, I just found this, this, uh, 
this, this is not an iPhone picture. This is just a representation. The only thing that's wrong with this little drawing is the people are, are way too close. But other than that, it's something like that. Here come the priests. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And God says through Joshua, when you reach the edge of the water, go and stand in the water. Write this down, please. There's no miracle until we obey. There's no miracle until we obey. This is humanly ridiculous. God says, I'm going to work the miracle, but I'm not going to do a thing until you put your feet in the water. That's kind of like Jesus saying to his fellows, when there are 5,000 men and all those other women and children, go and feed them. And they look at each other and go, we got nothing, Lord. We got nothing. Well, go round up what you've got. What do they come back with? Five loaves and two fish. Lord, how are we going to feed them? Understand, God routinely asks us to do the impossible so that when it is done, he alone gets the credit. So that's number six. How are we going to cross the Jordan? First, the priests enter the water before the miracle took place. Number seven, the water stood in a heap. Look at verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. At a town called Adam, that's Adam, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Now watch this, watch this. It's early in the morning on the east side of the Jordan River. The sun is peeking over the horizon. The people of God know that today is the day. Behind them is the desert. Ahead of them, the raging waters of the Jordan River. And all throughout the camp, total silence. On the other side of the raging torrent, they can see in the distance, it's not that far away, the great walled city of Jericho. Suddenly, a little group emerges from the people on the eastern side. It's a group of priests that are carrying on their shoulders the Ark of the Covenant, the gracious presence of Almighty God. The priests are dressed in their white robes. They are carrying the Ark of the Covenant step by step by step in the direction of the raging torrent. No one says a word. Every eye is fixed on the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Closer and closer and closer they go. The river has not stopped. The water has not parted. The, the waves are wild. The torrent is real. The current is fast. The, the, the river is almost a mile wide. Down they go, step by careful step. Down the bank, step by step by step. Finally, they get to the edge 
of the water and it is still flowing. And when the priest put their feet in the water at that moment, not one second sooner, not one second later, when their feet hit the water, the water begins to roll back north. Doesn't just roll up. It doesn't just stop. It rolls up in a wall. The, and the, and the river, if you will, begins, the, the raging torrent begins to go north a half a mile, a mile, two miles, three miles, until the people watching it, the water, the wall of water recedes and vanishes in the distance. It does not stop until it goes 16 miles north to a dam to a dam and there the vast wall of water creates a lake and to the south side the water just begins to flow 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 down to the dead sea and just like that just like that the riverbed which had been wet dries up and the people follow the ark of god which stops in the middle of the dry riverbed And one by one by one, by tribes and families and clans, the people of God cross the Jordan River on dry ground. It was a pure miracle of God. Note this. The miracle happened after they obeyed, not before. You got it? If the priest had not stepped In the raging torrent, no one would have crossed that day. How does this happen? In verse 11, there's a phrase used to describe God. It's used for the first time here in all the Bible. He is called the Lord of all the earth. First time in the Bible that phrase occurs. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Number eight, the priest with the ark stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed. Verse 17, the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on the dry ground. Why did they stand there? So everybody could see them and so that everybody knew God and God alone had done it. And I tried to think to myself, ask yourself a question. How many, how many people of God were there in Israel? Well, there were 600,000 men. So there's that many women probably. And there's two or three kids. So you've got two, two and a half million. How long is it going to take to get two and a half million people across the dry riverbed that day? I think if I was a priest, I would be, I'd be, let's move this thing along, move this thing along, you know. I wouldn't want to stand out there any longer than I had to. They had to stand out there for hours, but it didn't matter. As long as they held up the Ark of the Covenant, that water was going to stay at least 16 miles away. 
Ninth and finally, the entire nation crossed on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation, underline that, the whole nation, nobody left behind, the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Two and a half million people, hours upon hours upon hours, and you can just write it down. No one was left behind. Young. And old, everybody got across. Rich and poor, everybody got across. Weak and strong, everybody got across. Healthy and sick, everybody got across. Men and women, everybody got across. They stood there until the whole nation of God had entered at last into the promised land. Let me come now to the end of the story. And to get this into the story, we got to go to the end of Joshua chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. So Joshua commanded the priest, when everybody was finally across, come up out of the Jordan. And the priest came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they sent their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. The miracle lasted as long as it was needed and not one second longer. Now I want to ask a question real quickly here. Why did God work this miracle this way? And I have two answers. Number one, made very clear in chapter 3, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, to exalt Joshua as God's appointed leader. What did he say? I, I told you this in my first message. God said to Joshua, as I was with who? Moses. So I will be with you. What had God done through Moses? Led the people across the Red Sea. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now all the people would know forever and ever and ever that Joshua was God's appointed leader. Second, God worked this miracle to prove that he was greater than any impossible situation which they are about to face when they come up against the great walled city of Jericho. It's going to take seven years for the people of God to fully conquer the promised land. There's going to be warfare, bloodshed. In the end, many people will die. Here is God's explanation for this miracle in chapter 3, verse 10. This is how you will know, underline that, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jambusites. Look, look, if God can do this, the Hivites are a piece of cake. End of the story. Three life lessons for us today. Number one, waiting increases our dependence on God. Waiting increases our dependence on God. Waiting is not fun. I don't like waiting. Let's get it on, Lord. But the longer we wait, the more we pray, the greater our dependence on him. Number two, God brings us to places of despair and impossibility so that we will realize our own inability. He brings us again and again to the end of ourselves. He brings us, 
He brings us to the banks of the raging river. And he says, you want to cross it? And we say, we can't. And the Lord says, I know you can't, but I can. Follow me. Number three, until we yield ourselves to God, we are not ready for the miracle we need. One final thought here. When we dare to follow God, we're going to constantly find ourselves walking new paths. That's what the life of faith is all about. Remember what God said at the beginning of chapter 3. Follow the ark of the covenant, the gracious presence of almighty God. Why? Because you have not passed this way before. That covers all of life. Stay close to the Lord. You've not passed this way before. God's command to his people is always the same forward. There will be new service, new songs, new ministry, new lands to conquer, new people to reach, new prayers to pray, new challenges to face. And following God will always, always, always lead us out of our comfort zone. Would you like some good news? Here is some good news this morning. When God calls us to move forward into the unknown, it's because he is already there. I smile when I think about that because I get scared sometimes. I get worried. I get fearful. I get uncertain. I just wonder, God, can you really take care of this? I, I, Marlene knows. I stay up at night stewing. and You know, between the two of us, I'm in charge of all the worrying. I can do all the worrying for both of us. You know, I put this up here mostly for me. If, you, if it helps you, good, but mostly for me. When God calls us to move forward, it's because he is already there. Listen, listen. He's the God who goes before his people, right? He goes before his people. He never asked us to go anywhere without going before us. So this just came to me last night, and it made me smile. Here we go. When we say, God, I'm afraid of the future, the Lord replies, afraid of the future? My child, I invented the future. I don't know. That just, that made me smile when I thought, I didn't copy that from anybody. I just thought of that last night. Afraid of the future? I invented the future. We are constantly asked to step in the water while it still rushes under our feet. We must build the bridge while it walk, while, while we must build the bridge as we walk on it. For some of us, the challenge is too much to ask. But for those brave souls who will step out into the unknown, they discover God in a way they never knew him before. Okay, into my message. I began a few minutes ago by talking about the River Jordan and the music associated with it. Well, in 1945, a man by the name of Oscar Eliasson wrote a song, a gospel song, based on this story. I think I used to hear this occasionally, a long time ago. And I cannot remember the last time I actually heard it sung in a service. But it goes like this. Be of good courage. God spake unto Joshua. When o'er the river, God pointed the way. Jordan uncrossable. Things seemed impossible. Waters divide as they march and obey. Got any rivers? 
you think are uncrossable. Got any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. And here's the last verse. God is the same and his word is dependable. He'll make a way through the waters for you. Life's situations by him are amendable. Mountains and hills, he will part for you. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. Oh, my friends, I got to quit. Some will quit right here. The hero of this story isn't Joshua. The hero of this story is God. So let's go out from here and trust him. If you find yourself backed into a corner, don't give up. Don't run away. Let's go down to the river and see what God will do. Father, we thank you that you are so much greater than the things we fear. You are so much greater than the walls that stand before us. You are so much greater than the mountains that hinder us. You are so much greater than every uncrossable river. So we pray for simple faith that where you lead, we might follow and never doubt because you are greater than whatever stands before us today. Help us to trust and obey and follow you where you lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.